0: Why, hello there. My name is Brad, and this is Work Advice for Me. Today, on our quest to meet successful people who do cool things that I find interesting, we're gonna be hopping on the Work Advice for Me jet again, flying all the way to Beverly Hills, California. We're gonna be chatting with Dan Harari today. Dan is a successful stand up comedian, book author, Hollywood publicist, and a UFO expert. With the rash of all these UFO spottings, I thought, why not have Dan on so we can chat about that? Dan is a very cool dude, and I'm so glad that he chose to sit down and chat with me. In this episode, you're going to hear Dan talk about what it's like to do stand-up comedy and the rush you get when you kill it on stage. He's also going to talk about being a Hollywood publicist, And if he's ever had to promote something he didn't really believe in, he's also gonna share a story about Ronald Reagan that you'll wanna stay tuned for. He's gonna talk about UFOs and he's gonna even let us know what his favorite alien movie is. So, if you're sitting there right now and you're watching an alien movie, pause the movie, sit down, and prepare. For This chat with Dan Harari, but before I want you to know you can slide into our DMS work advice for me on Instagram, or you can email me at work advice for me at gmail.com and remember like and follow us on iTunes or Spotify and please leave us a review and you know how we feel it needs to be positive. If it's a negative review, the aliens may take you into outer space. That's words and wisdom from Brad. Hey, sit back, grab some popcorn and enjoy my chat with Dan Harari. So Dan, first thanks for coming on and you know, you 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 have many talents. You're a publicist, you're a UFO researcher which I find really cool. You're an author, a stand-up comic. Which of those have you found to be the most challenging?
1: Uh, that's a really great question uh you know what brad honestly stand-up comedy was one of the hardest things i ever did because when you're up there on a stage and you try to i'm not i'm not a natural performer on stage having said that i was a drummer my whole childhood and teenage year so i was always in rock bands as a drummer and i was it was great to be a drummer on stage with rock bands because, you know, you're, you're with your five other best friends. So I was never, ever nervous about being on a band on stage. When you're a stand-up comic, you're alone on a stage with a mic and lights on you. Hundreds of people in the audience. And if you forget your material or you're having an off day, um, it's the most frightening feeling in the world. I've had some good nights when I got a lot of laughs. And I've had some very bad <laughs> bad nights when I forgot my material and I was standing there like a deer in the headlights. So of the many things I've done, I would say the most challenging for me personally would be my years as a stand-up comedian. And,
0: and that was another question I was going to ask you is what's the, what's the feeling like when you finish a set that you've crushed?
1: Um, I'll tell you exactly. I was... I did a show at the improvisation in Hollywood once and 250 people were in the audience, including my mother, my best friends and my mother. And I did a routine about, um, I was just newly divorced. So I did a routine about bad dates and, and, and sex once you're a single man after being divorced in front of my mother. And I did pretty well. I, I, I did pretty well, but it, afterwards, I came off the stage, and went into the audience, and people came up to me and said, Dan, I liked your joke about this, and Dan, I loved your joke about that, and I looked at them, Brad, and I said, really? I did that? I did those jokes? Uh, Because for me, when I was doing stand-up, I went into a dream dream state. I I went into another state mentally. I was somewhere else, like a high, really is a high. And uh, when I came back into the audience, and people were shaking my hand one girl pinched my ass which had never happened to me before in my life ever and i'm like wow i guess i did okay but it was like two completely i was like two different people on the stage and in the audience after it was like two different people i didn't even remember my material after i got off the stage so um i would say that particular night was probably the highlight of my comedy career
0: Well, you know, you, you, you have a lot of talents. What was your drive like as a young man, like grow as you were developing and learning and getting in, you know, after you're 22 years old, what was your drive like in your young adult life?
1: Well, I credit my, um, I know, you know, you're talking to people about their success and and their drive. I would have to credit both of those things very much so to, to my parents, um, I came from very highly intelligent parents. Uh, both of my parents had master's degrees. My father was an electronics engineer for the Army for 45 years, and he invented missiles and radars and drones. And he was a genius scientist. My mother was a teacher and a, a playwright and a musician, and they were both very, very accomplished. Um, this morning when I woke up, I wrote down some things to tell you. Uh, that led to my success in my job. My dad used to say to me when I was a kid, you know, Danny, if you want to have a life, you have to work to make money, to pay for everything. Otherwise, you're a bum. And the other thing my dad always said to me was, work is hard, that's why they call it work and not play, which I think is so funny. Mm-hmm. My mother, just a story from my mother, I remember coming home, I was probably in eighth grade, I got an A minus on a, on a paper. And I showed it to my mother, and she goes, "Why didn't you get an A?" and I remember feeling ashamed that I didn't get an A so my parents I inherited their um i guess their their striving to succeed. both of my parents succeeded in life they were brilliant people, and I wasn't going to sit around and be a bum and do nothing. I saw how hard they worked their whole lives so any success I have was instilled with me in me as a child before I left home. I, I left uh, New Jersey. I'm from there. I left when I was 24 to move to Los Angeles to become a comedy writer in Hollywood. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. And I was 24. I came out. I had no money, no car, no connections. And I just stuck with it because I knew I'd end up in the entertainment business. I just knew it uh, instinctively. And I, the first year I was here, I, I slept on a friend's couch. I had uh, I used to take buses everywhere to get to do interviews. And slowly but surely, I found a niche into Hollywood. For me personally, it was in public relations, and uh, that's how I got in there. But my parents really gave me the drive to, to move, always move myself forward.
0: So you brought up uh, public relations. What is what does that look like to someone who? Who who doesn't live in Hollywood doesn't doesn't can't relate to that. What does public relations look like in Hollywood to someone outside of the well, business? Well, public
1: a lot of people don't know what public relations is. Uh, even my mother to this day, my mother is not quite sure what I've been doing for a living for the last forty years. Um, help, big picture. Here's big picture of public relations. A, a public relations person like me has clients on one hand and has connections with media outlets on the other hand so someone like me is like a uh, I'm like a uh, matchmaker I'm like a matchmaker I have clients I happen to have clients in show business but a, a publicist can have clients that are in banking or lawyers or accountants or finance or real estate or authors you know a publicist can can publicize any any person or company or organization, anything can be publicized. I happen to publicize people who work in Hollywood. So for me, I meet with my clients. They tell me what's their news. Are they working on a new TV show? Are they working on a new movie? Uh, did they hire a new uh, vice president of production for their company? Things like this. So I write up their news for them and then I send out their news to the media uh, you know, media is New York Times, L.A. Times, mm-hmm. USA Today, People Magazine, CNN, CBS News, that kind of thing. So a good publicist for, in, for any field, a good publicist takes clients uh, who have a message and have news and packages that news and then disseminates it to media outlets who would care about that news. You have to find the, the right journalists and editors in the media who would care about your client's news. So I'm very much a matchmaker in that regard, and I've been doing that for 40 years.
0: Have you ever had to uh, promote a a show, and you don't have to name names, but have you ever had to promote a show that you knew was just, ugh, but you just had to promote it as if it was great?
1: Well, I started my own business 27 years ago when I turned 40. Mm Mm-hmm. Before then, I worked for a company run by a man who was like a little Napoleon tyrant guy, and I hated him. And I worked for him for almost eight years. He handled a group that uh, supervised infomercial producers, infomercial producers, right? Mm -hmm. And it was was called the National, it doesn't exist anymore, the National Infomercial Marketing Association. So this tyrant boss had that as a client, and he gave that to me. Well, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I came to Hollywood to be a comedy writer. It's bad enough I have to publicize, you know, other corporations that are not in the entertainment industry. But to give me the PR assignment for infomercial people? And I had that client, I think, for three years. And it was revolting. It was personally revolting to me. I cringed it made me it almost made me sick to my stomach. I had no choice because I had a wife and kids. I couldn't, and I was, this is before I had the confidence to start my own business, which I did at age forty. So in my thirties, I was handling these infomercial people, and it was it was reprehensible. And I just used to close my eyes and go, you know, someday soon, this client will be gone out of my life. So I would say that was the most repulsive thing I ever had to do as a publicist.
0: So, so what what advice would you give someone listening right now that's stuck in that same position you were in, but in a different field? What what would you tell them about getting through it?
1: Uh, what a great question. Well, you know, again, I had no choice, Brad, in, those er- in that era. I had two little, very little kids. Um, two young kids and a wife. And, and I had to, no, you know, if I had said to my boss, you know, uh, Dick, I I, I don't want to represent this guy. He would look at me like, what what are you crazy? Of course you're going to do it or else I'll fire you. I had no choice. I had no choice. Financially, I had no choice. You know, there are people who dig ditches and, 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 and chop down trees and work hard for a living. So for me, this is more just a philosophical repulsion it wasn't physical. it wasn't hard work it was just repulsive work I had no choice financially I couldn't say to my boss give this to another publicist I just couldn't do it so you mm-hmm. have to you know if you're in a financial situation you can't leave your job or you have a, get a assigned a client and you can't get rid of the client uh, I had I had a friend this is the best advice I ever heard she said when you have a client you you hate it do the opposite and embrace the enemy. In other words, be super nice to them and be proactive for them and like turn it around so that instead of them being in charge of you, you're in charge of them. And and like, you know, hug them, even though you want to stab them in, in the back with a knife, hug them and embrace your enemy. And that, that got me through a lot of bad days at that job. But if you are in a position to leave that work, and, and go out on your own. I went out on my own with a bunch of my own clients and a, and a backer who gave me $5,000. And from there, I created a multi-million dollar business. Yeah, uh, you know, and again, it was right when I turned 40. You have, if you're going to go out on your own, you have to have some clients behind you. It's best to have a partner or two who has some money in the bank. Um, otherwise, you got to suck it up and embrace your enemy. That would be my advice.
0: Well, that's great advice. Um, <laughs> that's so. really good advice. I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are going, wow, I, I'm just, I think I'm going to do the opposite Monday and embrace them.
1: Well, you remember there was a Seinfeld episode, my favorite episode, when George does the opposite.
0: Oh, I love that episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, he goes up to a beautiful girl and goes, hi, my name is George, I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. And she goes, oh, hi, I'm Rachel. And she gives him her phone number. If you
0: do the opposite, sometimes you'd be very surprised it could work in your favor. Didn't he also say he was bald I, did, when he came up to it? Uh, he might have said, uh, "Well, he she saw him.
1: Yeah. So clearly, he was bald, but yeah. he might have said, yeah, 'Yeah, I'm George. I'm bald. I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents.' Something like that."
0: <laughs> yeah, I think he. I think he might have threw the the the, the B word in there. Bald.
1: I uh, think. I think so too. I think that's that is my all time favorite
0: Seinfeld episode. which which. Makes it even funnier when he says I'm bald and I live with my parents. Like it just makes it even funnier because you remember the episode where he where he had the toupee, right? And he was wearing the toupee.
1: Uh, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, of course. <laughs> so, of
0: so course. you're you're also an author, and I, I I like to ask authors this question: What is your process like when you begin writing a book? Um. Well, I have written four books.
1: Each one, I'd say, was a different... Each one had a different genesis altogether. The first book I wrote was called Flirting with Fame. It's about my Hollywood career and all the many, many dozens of very famous celebrities that I've met or worked with. Um, I wrote that book in 2020. Yeah, 2020 when it, or 2021 in there during COVID, you know. When when COVID first hit, my clients were very quiet. Hollywood was a very quiet place during COVID.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So one day I just sat around and, and I took a piece of paper and a pen and I just, I thought, for, I don't even know why. I just said, you know, I've met a lot of celebrities in my life and I'm just going to write them all down. And I just wrote down all the celebrities I had met starting with the age of 15 you know, I knew Bruce Springsteen before he was famous. I worked with him when I was 60. So I just wrote down all the celebrities I'd ever met or worked with. And it was many, many, many pages long, Brad. And I'm like, wow, I should, I should put this into a book. So it was like, a, it was a lark. You know, it was a lark. It was during COVID. It was a lark. I had nothing else to do. And I wrote a book. It took me about four months to write it. It was very easy because I have an incredibly good memory And I just flashed back through my memory of all my years working with celebrities. I just remembered everything. So I just wrote it chronologically. It came out very easily. It was not hard to write for me. And here's the best part of the story. When I was done, the day I finished it, I called a good friend of mine, Ray, who has published a number of books. And I said, Ray, I just wrote this dopey book about my Hollywood career. What should I do with it? And he goes, there's a company in Florida Called Bear Manor Media. He goes, they love Hollywood books. Why don't you reach out to them? I said, okay. So I emailed this guy at Bear Manor in Florida. I'd never heard of him in my life. He never heard of me. And I said, hi, my name is Dan. I'm a Hollywood publicist. Here's who I've worked with. I just wrote a book. Here's a chapter. Here are some pictures of me with Spielberg and Jerry Seinfeld and Alice Cooper and Al Gore and Anne Margaret. I just sent him a bunch of pictures. And he wrote back, he goes, Dan, here's your contract. And I was like, "What?" So, and Brad, an hour after I finished writing that book, I had a publishing deal, which blew blew me away. It, it, it Literally, blew. I couldn't. I still can't believe it
0: to happen that quickly. That doesn't normally happen.
1: No, that 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 book was meant to be. Yeah. Wow. My extra, My my new book, which came out in March, called "After They Came," it's a science fiction novel. And it's about benevolent aliens who come to Earth to save mankind, working through this one poor soul who is committing suicide in Chapter 1. And that book has a very long history, but I'll try to give you the quick version. Um, my dad, I told you, my dad worked for the Army as an electronics engineer, and he invented missiles and drones and things. In 1970, my dad and I had a major UFO sighting together. It was a big silver V above my father's car. Daylight, he was driving me home from school. And my dad, I was jumping up and down, and my dad looked at this craft, Brad, like he knew what it was. He died in 2017, and one day I went to lunch to think about my dad by myself, and I remembered that that incident had happened 47 years earlier. I had forgotten about that event for 47 years. I'm waiting for a pastrami sandwich. I saw the event. It played in my brain like a home movie. And I opened my eyes and I said, oh, my God, my dad knew what that craft was. I've since researched it. and turns out my dad invented all kinds of top secret craft for the military. And I'm, I'm convinced that he knew what that UFO was. So after I got my pastrami sandwich, I went home and I wrote a book dedicated to my father. It's about a guy who who meets aliens. They save his life, and it turns out that that guy's father was a, a scientist who worked with aliens 70 years in the past. So I, I, I blended aspects of my life and my father's work into a science fiction novel. And honest to God, it came to me. It just it came to me very. It just came to me. That took me eight months to write. And I pitched it, and I got a contract for that one fairly quickly as well. So that's the book that is making the rounds at all the UFO conventions, and I've been befriended a lot of the top UFO researchers in the past four months. And uh, I've become—I've a, 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 done podcasts and radio interviews all over the world in the last four months, talking about UFOs and my father's work for the military and my book. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride to last four months. It's been a lot of fun.
0: That that was going to lead me to my next question. Before I ask that question, who is the nicest celebrity you've ever met?
1: People ask me that all the time, and without any hesitation, uh, do you remember the movie E.T.? Yes. Okay, so there was a woman named Dee Wallace. She was the mother in E.T.
0: Yeah, she was also in Cujo.
1: And Cujo, and she was also in... Another one, another famous horror film. I can't remember the other one. Anyway, Dee Wallace and I became friends in 1989. She was the um, lead in a TV show called The New Lassie, of all things. The New Mm -hmm. Lassie. I was the publicist for that show for years. Dee and I became very good friends. And the, the quick story there is, at the time, my wife was very ill, pregnant with my daughter, and I uh, told Dee about it. Dee sent an acupuncturist to my home to treat my, my wife, who couldn't get out of bed from the pregnancy. She was really sick. And this acupuncturist came five times to my home. Dee paid for this, cured my wife, and then ha- I had a healthy baby daughter. So to this day, Dee and I are friends, and I've said to her, I said, you know, you helped me generate my daughter, and I'll be forever grateful. She's the nicest lady I ever met.
0: Wow. That's, that's really a cool story. I, I love how she just helped you out, and there was nothing expected in return.
1: Absolutely true. That's absolutely correct. And last year when I, my Hollywood book came out, she uh, introduced me at the Hollywood bookstore. She introduced me um, and said, this is my friend Dan, and he wrote a book called Flirting with Fame. And I love Dan, and then I came up, and I go, D, I love you so much, and we hugged and. And my daughter got to meet her as well. My daughter's 33 now. Mm-hmm. So my daughter hugged D. Wallace and said, thank you for helping me come into the world, you know. It was really quite sweet. It's wonderful.
0: That's amazing. So that, that leads me into my next question. And I, you, you kind of answered it earlier, but what, what draws you to UFOs?
1: <clears throat> um, well, that's a great question. Um, again... The major, major UFO sighting with my father in 1970 when I was 14, Mm -hmm. which I forgot about. But years later, in 96, I saw a UFO with my son when he was eight. And we saw a craft that went from one side of the sky all the way to the other side of the sky. I thought it was a satellite. And then it stopped in place for about 30 seconds. And then it went all the way back the same way it came from. And I said to my son, that's not a satellite. That's a UFO. That was the second one. The third one I saw in Washington State in 2008 at a very famous UFO ranch called E-Sedi Ranch, E-C-E-T-I. It's world famous for UFO sightings. I went there with a girlfriend in 08. I was divorced by that time. Mm-hmm. And we saw a craft that came over our heads and blinked on and off a beautiful bright emerald green light it hovered over our heads about 300 people and it flashed on and off about a dozen times over us as if to say, hello, we're here. We know, uh, we know you were looking for us in the sky. We love you. Everything's cool. Uh, we're friendly. Don't be afraid of us. And uh, we just wanted to say hello. And then this craft vanished, it vanished. and I started to cry. People cried. So those are my three UFO experiences. But again, the, the modern era, Was 2017. My dad died. I got the pastrami sandwich. I saw the whole movie play in my brain. I gave birth to a book. And since then, in the past, just in the past six months or less, I have befriended at least a dozen of the top UFO people in the world. I'm representing two of them right now for PR. Uh, I've been on every major UFO podcast in the United States. My book is selling really, really well and and it's just kind of you know brad it was kind of meant to be like after my dad died i had this flashback and it's almost like my dad's spirit gave me a new lease on life in the, in the ufo world i think my dad gave this to me as a gift yeah, because it was three days after he died when i had that experience
0: wow wow and i've i've really enjoyed this conversation you you have you have led us into your world. I appreciate it. But before before we end our chat, what what's your favorite what's your favorite alien movie? And I think I know what it might be, but I want to see if I'm right.
1: I'm sure I'm sure you get it right. Well, okay. So my book, After They Came, is about benevolent aliens. In other words, aliens who come to Earth not to kill us or not to eat us. Mm-hmm. Most of the you know most of the famous. Independence Day, Mars Attacks, War of the World, a lot of very famous alien movies, they come to destroy everything. My book is they're nice. They're nice. They eliminate nuclear weapons. They end famine. They reverse climate change. My aliens are nice. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the history of alien UFO movies in the last 50 years, there's only two that really stand out as being benevolent. One is E.T., which I loved at the time, but it doesn't hold up now because now it's quite childish. But at the time, it was remarkable. Mm-hmm. But my all-time favorite movie of, of any kind of movie at all is Close Encounters. You know, I've seen that movie 60 times, and I cry every time at the end when he goes on board the ship, Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, that movie blows me away. It's so wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: my all-time favorite movie is Close Encounters.
0: That was going to be my second pick for you. I was going to go E.T. number one. So, I lost out on that.
1: E.T., no, you know what? E.T. was great in its day. It doesn't hold up. It wouldn't even be in my top ten now. Really? But Close Encounters is my absolute favorite movie. And here's a funny thing. I met Spielberg in 2010. I spent a day with him. And I we didn't talk about UFOs or anything. We were at an event. And I was working with him to do interviews with the media. In retrospect, I wish I had had... Uh, the foresight to talk to him about UFOs. I did because it was, there were a lot of people and a lot of noise, but I did get a picture of me with Spielberg. Very nice guy. Um, His mother who passed away a few years ago had a restaurant two blocks from, from my house, literally two blocks from my house. Wow. And my mother from Jersey, When my mother used to come visit me over the years. My mother and I would have dinner, would have lunch quite a few times. My mom and I had lunch with Spielberg's mother. At, at that restaurant. So when I met Stephen, I told him about how much I liked his mother and her restaurant and we bonded over that. In retrospect, there's a famous story, which I just heard recently. This is a great, I'll leave you with this, Brett. When Spielberg showed the movie E.T. to President Ronald Reagan at the White House, at the end of that movie, Reagan got up in the room and said, thank you, Stephen, for showing us that movie. And then he said to the crowd, there's probably six or seven people here right now in this room who know that what we saw on the screen is real. That Spielberg is quoted as saying that that really happened. And Reagan was not kidding or teasing or winking at him or smiling. He said it dead serious. There's six or seven people in this room right now who know what we just saw on the screen is real. Reagan wanted to reveal, it's called disclosure. Reagan wanted to disclose the alien presence on Earth, but the military didn't allow him to do that. And even Biden, Biden and Obama and Clinton, none of them have been allowed. It's coming very close. There's something called disclosure that's going to happen very soon. And that's going to be either Biden or the or some world leader is going to say, okay, listen, ETs have been here for thousands of years. We've known all about it. We kept it from you. We didn't want to cause panic. And, uh, yeah, they're here. They're real. And, and, and we're, we're going to be in a whole new world order order." after disclosure happens. I'm working with people to make that happen right now.
0: Wow. Well, Dan, I I thank you again for for spending a few minutes with me. And what I take from you today is embrace the enemy, hug them instead of stabbing them.
1: (laughs) I like that. I didn't think of it. A A woman named Kate Chester. If Kate Chester, if you're listening out there, I don't even know where you live now. But embrace the enemy is the best, the best work advice I think I ever got.
0: Uh, I appreciate your advice, and thank you so much, Dan. You have a great day. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dan Harari as much as I did. Hey, does that make you want to go out and watch an alien movie? Are you wanting to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I think I might go watch it. Remember, guys, follow us on Instagram at Me. And email us at workadviceforme at gmail.com if you have a question or thought about the episode. This podcast is brought to you by HopeCast. This is Work Advice for Me. My name is Brad, and I'll see you next week.